Hey everybody, you're in the dummy room. I'm Jody Havnot, joined by Mr. Nate Demmel. How you doing, Nate? I'm doing really good tonight. A little tired, but yeah. How yeah, you been? Pretty good, pretty good. Good. This is uh, this is going to be dummy room number 14. Yeah, 14 episodes, man. That's crazy. Pretty soon we'll have uh, we'll be celebrating our big 50th and shit. So that'd be cool. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anything uh new happening this week to you? Not much, man. It was a busy week. Worked a lot. Recorded a little bit. Um, yeah, nothing really. Same old shit. You? Cool. Uh, not much. Hey, before I before anything, um, we got to give uh thanks to uh Stephen Brookfield from the '99ers. ers Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks for the CD, man. song uh dude sent us some cds and uh it's pretty good man everybody should uh should go check out that band the 99ers uh very nice of him we appreciate it a lot and always nice to get uh, some free stuff especially when it's this cool right on yeah hell yeah much appreciated um but yeah i uh i went camping on friday oh yeah <laughs> i'm waiting <laughs> to hear about this um yeah, it was the expected disaster, you know. Um, 
All I know is I got a text at like 2.30 in the morning, and you're like, I'm fucking miserable. <laughs> yeah, so it was, uh, it was nice because it was quiet out there. There wasn't many people, but fucking mosquitoes, man, just killed us. Like, me and my daughter, she, uh, me and her, we both just, they love us. We taste good or whatever. Um, so it was pretty bad. She went to bed early, and so did, so did my son, but... I uh I stayed up outside and then I get when I got in the tent it was just like my fucking legs were just on fire you know Damn. and I just got bit up and I couldn't sleep man I was you fuckers in the Jason talk <laughs> Mock I was man like shit. yeah man th- he wasn't around um there was a guy like it was right around it must have been bar time like two thirty three yeah I don't I don't even know where this guy was but dude had like that. Uh, you know that typical creepy movie laugh you know yeah like that really fucked up laugh i kept hearing that and i was like where is this fucking guy and i actually went outside and i like looked around and there was no lights on anywhere who is this guy but i think um i think i fell asleep like at maybe like four thirty or 5 Wow. And my kids got me up at like six. Right. And so, as soon no as that sleep. sun comes up, that's what you're awake when you're camping, man. That's what sucks about it. Yeah, and uh, it was hot, you know. And and uh, it, we were there for like another hour, and I was like, "We're going home." <laughs> so we just we don't live too far from there, you know. So we just left, and you know, showered, and then uh, we came back and packed it up, and we were done. <laughs> So my um my son was a little upset. So <laughs> my wife's idea was to let's rent a camping movie. You know, <laughs> what'd you get? And we got the Great Outdoors. Okay. Answer me one question. Sure. Why the hell would you want to come up to a plant-infested no man's land like this and live like a barbarian for a week? You wouldn't understand. Try me. For God's sakes, this is this is this is beautiful country here. Take a good look. I'll tell you what I see when I look out there, if you want to know. Hey, yeah, I'm curious. I see the underdeveloped resources of northern Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan. I see a syndicated development consortium exploiting over a billion and a half dollars in forest products. I see a paper mill, and if the strategic metals are there, a mining operation. A green belt between the condos on the lake and a waste management facility, focusing on the newest rage in toxic waste, medical refuse. Infected bandages, body parts, IV tubing, contaminated glassware, entrails, syringes, fluid, blood, low-grade radioactive waste, all safely contained, sunken in the lake, and sealed for centuries. Now, I ask you, what do you see? I, I just see, uh, see trees. You wouldn't know a good time if it fell out of the sky, landed on your face, and started to wiggle. <laughs> and, That's uh, what I was thinking of, actually. Yeah, so we, um, you know, my wife is... She's a smart one, <laughs> and she she looks at the ratings on these movies, you know, and she's like, you can't see it if it's you know obviously yeah. R, but PG thirteen even you know, yeah. some exceptions, but it's PG you know, so but it's eighties PG, <laughs> so it's probably tits. <laughs> well, no, there's no titties in the Great Outdoors, but um, there's some language you know, eighties yeah. PG is not today's PG, right. So, but yeah, we watched that and the kids laughed and they thought it was funny. There, there's some language, like I said, but right. uh, they called us out on it too. You're letting us watch this, you know? <laughs> and my wife was like, well, it's, it's nothing you've never heard, you know? <laughs> right. 
it's Dude, nothing you haven't heard before. How when you were a kid? I mean, when I was a kid, there was like I could watch whatever the hell I wanted, man. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I was watching shit. There was no way I should have been watching it. Way too young. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, me too, Fucking man. Fucking Porkies and shit would be on, like, <laughs> HBO, like, 50 times a day, and me and all my little fucking friends would see all this, all this bush, as it were. <laughs> so much wool, you could knit a sweater, man. It's out <laughs> of control. The, my brother and I used to uh, watch, you know, my parents, they didn't give a crap, and I remember, I, I don't remember how old I was, but, you know, like, this is, like, early 80s when we got our first, like, VCR. And right. I remember um, Police Academy, yeah. you know, and uh, I was probably like maybe six or seven, <laughs> and that movie is not for a seven-year-old. No. You know, and <laughs> and watching it like nowadays, it's like, holy shit, you know, there's that like that blowjob scene and <laughs> the podium and shit. Yeah. And it's like, oh man, that's. But yeah, we used to watch all that stuff, right? You know, even like Revenge, Revenge of, the... of the Nerds. Yeah. The fucking rape scenes and shit. <laughs> fucking home invasions and fucking. Yeah. Fucking the, the voyeur the cam fucking, and all this the shit. Voyeur cam. <laughs> <laughs> fucking worms uh, are just like seven years old, watching yep. this shit. Yeah, but yeah, I remember watching Fast Times, you know, it's yeah. like my favorite movie and when I was I was really young watching that, you Me know. Too, dude. It's like all those old movies. There was yeah. no filter on us kids, you know what I mean? <laughs> I remember no. shit like Sleepaway Camp. I don't know if you ever saw that, but what a yep. creepy fucking ending, you know, especially when you're a little kid. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, I'm scarred by that one to this day. So so when I was a kid, um my parents got divorced and like my dad moved a few towns over or whatever. And, uh, (laughs) we went to his house once and we went and rented movies and there was this, I don't remember what it was called or anything, but I I couldn't even remember at the time. So we go to the video store and I'm like, we got to get this movie, you know? And I remember my dad is like, uh, I don't know if that's appropriate, you know, that kind of thing, you know? And I'm like, no, it's really good, you know? And, and we, (laughs) We got home and put that fucker in, and it was like total softcore porn, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and just titties and shit all over, and it was like, oh, this is, this, yeah. <laughs> it didn't, <laughs> it got turned off, but I remember thinking, geez, what movie was I looking for, you know? Yeah, dude. Uh, dude, when I was a kid at like the little local video store, they had like the porno room, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> they didn't give a shit, they would rent. I mean, we would be like twelve years old, and we could go in there and rent like the Devil and Miss Jones and shit. <laughs> Jeez, dude, they didn't give a shit. So we were watching all types of fucked up movies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it was crazy. So that's awesome. I got this story. My uh, <laughs> this is too fucking funny. My sister. This is years back, but my sister takes my niece and nephew, and they were probably um. I don't know, probably like six and, you know, four or something like that. Yeah. So this is this is like 12 years ago or something, and she takes them to the video store to rent. And I want to say they were trying to rent Shrek. Okay. I'm not sure on that, but so my, they rent the movie and at my mom's place, and she puts the movie in and goes to make them lunch or something like that. She leaves the room and then she notices that everything's really quiet and she goes out there 
and the two kids, <laughs> the two kids are just staring at the fucking TV, <laughs> and okay. apparently it was full on hardcore porn. Oh fuck! <laughs> <laughs> so my sister like oh, panics, you know, like oh fuck, my you know my brother's gonna kill her, you know, and. Right. She takes it out and she goes to the. She takes it back and and my sister's real cool about stuff, and so she was laughing and she tells them and they gave her, they credited um, my sister-in-law's account because she rented it under them, you know. Yeah. Like a bunch of free rentals. Oh, okay. It's pretty nice That's of them, you know. Cool, yeah. So, uh, a little while after that, my wife and I go to that video store. It was at a time where you could just give them your name. Yeah. And we did that, and the the dude's like, "Oh, it's, it's on the house," you know. We're like, <laughs> "Sweet," you know. Well, okay, cool. And we go there again, like a couple days later, whatever. And uh, it's another free one, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so we're just like, "This is cool." So as, as time goes on, we're getting all these free movies, and then I don't know if it was her or me, but we had asked, like, "Why are all these free?" You know. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you had a free thing on your account. And um, apparently, well, not apparently, but my wife and my brother's wife have the same fucking name. Okay. Even middle name. Really? So there's two of them. <laughs> and they were going under her account, so we were using up all her free rentals, you know? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, so it was pretty funny, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, can you imagine that though? No, Just like popping be... that and walking away and then coming back and, you know, Bonerville, you yeah. know? Like, what the fuck? Oh, shit. Damn. Yeah, they, they turned out pretty good though. <laughs> we have news for beautiful people. There's a lot more of us in our view. Any of you that have ever felt stepped on, left out, picked on, put down. Why don't you just come down here and join us, okay? So for anyone listening, dude, it's worked out this week to where I had to work, but we simply could not cancel this week's guest. So Nate went ahead and did it without me. And uh, I think everyone out there is really going to dig it. What do you think, Nate? Yeah, it was. Uh, we were fortunate enough. I was fortunate enough to uh, talk with Ian Hernandez from Sicko. Also, uh, Tales from the Birdbath and Date Night with Brian, and he runs Top Drawer Records. And yeah, man, it was a lot of fun. It was uh, it was uh, the highlight for me so far on this thing. Um, been a sicko fan forever, you know, since high school. Right. So uh, stay tuned. It's it's coming up. It's it's good. He's uh, he's got a new band coming out, and it's it's. Um, it gives people uh, something to look forward to, and if you're a sicko fan, which you probably are, he's got some sicko news in there too that uh, got me all excited. So, oh, right yeah, on. stay tuned, check it out. Yeah. So, without any further ado, check Nate out. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Dummy Room. This is Marie Nicotine from the Windowsill. Enjoy the show. Cheers.
and I got Ian from Sicko hanging in the dummy room. Alright Ian, I'm a huge sicko guy, so I gotta apologize in advance in case I nerd out a little too much tonight. Um, that being said, thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for asking me to be on. Oh man, this is so cool. Um, so if we could start at the beginning, um, how did uh, sicko all come about? Oh, um, well Danny and I went to college together, and we played in a few bands, uh, sort of, you know funny punk cover bands and that kind of thing. And we'd sort of tried to get a band started. And then I left college a little earlier than he did. And, um, and so that didn't go anywhere. And then, uh, you know, Seattle in 1990 was pretty tough for people who are into the kind of music, you know, we were into. It was very, you know, this grunge thing was a big deal, which there was some pretty good music in that world. But, uh, it was, um, you know, pervasive, and it really, I mean, Seattle ran the gamut from grunge to butt rock, which was pretty much, I mean, at the time it seemed like it was really different, but I don't, uh, you know, with hindsight, the stuff seems about, all, like, you know, just, a, just you know, a millimeter apart, really, and so you just couldn't find guys to play with um, that didn't want to sound like either Queensryche or Soundgarden um, or some dreadful sort of combination between and so uh i ended up calling denny after college and he was he'd gone back to spokane and i said would you come out and start a band with me and he said sure into the couch at the house I was living at and just stayed for a month or something or two before he found anywhere to live. Um, and then, uh, you know, we started practicing and I think maybe the first or second drummer we tried out. Oh no, I guess there, there probably is one more, a few more than that. It's hard. To, I remember one guy who was particularly ill suited, but, uh, uh, after a few drummers, we found Josh who hilariously, you know, he's the brother of Aaron Rubin, who's the bass player of the Mr. T Experience and was from Los Angeles and was, I think, a lot closer to punk rock and pop punk than we were, than Denny and I were, being from Seattle and Spokane. And, and he had somehow found himself in a 
blues band and you know and then he and, and oh it was a friend of uh denny's uh this guy named justin knew uh josh from sort of uh, marijuana related uh activities and uh and a shared love of the digits and recommended him and he came and played with us and it was really clear quite quickly that we are all trying to do the same thing and really on the same wavelength in so many ways uh and you know fairly quickly we got a house uh danny and i were living in uh and josh was living in an apartment separately and we started practicing sort of in earnest and we got our first gig at a party up the street and uh it's sort of and you know and i recorded a demo with an eight track recorder that i had took it around to local record stores and uh and gave it out to booking agents and you know it sort of took i wouldn't say it took off i think it sort of started really slowly rolling from there all right you uh you kind of answered my next question but um obviously sicko doesn't have the um typical seattle sound no no um but i was just wondering what it was like for um for you guys to play there in that city at that time uh as a pop punk band sure yeah um you know in a lot of ways i i think it would be easy to complain about it but sort of in retrospect it was perfect because one there was something like a hundred clubs 200 clubs in seattle you know, with gigs every night. And and that was because of all the focus of that grunge movement and Pearl Jam and Nirvana and all that kind of stuff. And so a ton of people, whether they were from Seattle or had moved to Seattle for one reason or another, wanted to go to shows in Seattle and see and live the lifestyle, you know, exemplified in that movie Singles and all that kind of stuff. And and, you know, we were the soundtrack to that. So people would go out to shows and uh, it was just what people did. You know, um, it, it, it it was sort of a, you know, regional pastime, and which was great for us in bands because on a Tuesday night you'd have 35 people and on a Friday night you have 150, 200, 300 people coming to see a show that, you know, maybe they didn't even really know your band. Um, and so... And weird was cool, right? Uh, There's a whole sort of, you know, this is different than what mm-hmm. sort of, yeah, I think a lot of the music in the mainstream of the 80s really took a pretty strong lead from the 70s and the 60s. And, and, and so there was a sort of an expectation about what rock music was. And, you know, then all of a sudden this sort of alternative, you know, Smashing Pumpkins, Nirvana, Mud Honey, whatever kind of world came along and people just, kind of thought well weird might be the thing right just different and weird and and so you could get away with being just about anything um and so there was a, just a real great fertile ground for us to sort of you know cut our teeth and hone our our craft um i guess also it was even more perfect in a way because at the time you know big guitars and long hair and little beards and you know floppy hats and long guitar solos and you know sort of you know sort of sexy face music whatever was that was the thing and 
you know, and we were like that. We were awkward guys. We were nerds. We were all college educated. We were, you know, sort of a little tense. We'd grown up on Black Flag and the Descendants and, you know, the Angry Samoans and, you know, and that kind of stuff. And which at that time really was still part of the underground culture. Um, it wasn't part of that mainstream grunge world. And so we loved being the rebels. We loved being the guys that were different, the weirdos. Uh, we were in the secret club that included the Young Fresh Fellows and the Fastbacks and Cub and Bum and, you know, the Fallouts and Flop and all these great regional bands that were, you know, fans of rock music and fans of pop and fans of punk and, you know, really, you know, and knew the same language of, of all that stuff and had the, we'd done all the homework you know, of, of growing up on the misfits and stuff like that. So we were in the Smarty Pants Cool Guy Club, and we were so much cooler, you know, than everything, right, in our own minds. And uh, and and so it was just a wonderful little clique to begin to belong to, uh, a little clique to be- belong to at the time, because we were we were really um, we were different. And I think in a smarter and cooler way. So uh, I kind of think of it like, uh, you know, you've imagined New York City in 1977 and 78, you know, with all these sort of bands coming out with this sort of nihilistic, you know, everything's dumb approach. And then there's the talking heads, you know, and they're like, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod, secret cool guy club, secret, you know, smarty pants club. And and so that that I guess I felt like we were in that, uh, and you know we weren't trying to be sexy, we weren't trying to be uh, tough, we weren't macho, we were sort of a little bit more cerebral, and that so that was it, it was perfect for us. That world was provided the sort of you know um, I guess sort of 
provided a sort of a something for us to push off against and uh and and at the same time we you know could sort of feign you know disdain for the seattle rock world of 1990 and 91 really you know it just created this awesome you know petri dish for us to 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 grow our craft in so it was wonderful it was a wonderful time like to know um you know early on what were you listening to what were your influences that got you interested uh starting a band and you know making your own music yeah sure uh as an eldest kid i kind of had to find it for myself and growing up in the 70s and early 80s you know i i didn't really know anything and i didn't have anybody to really show me my parents weren't particularly supportive of me being involved in that kind of music and and, you know, it, it wasn't like now where you can just go on the Internet and find stuff. Um, you know, you had to go to a record store and look at a million records and wonder which one it was. And maybe they didn't have the good replacements record. And maybe you didn't even know the replacements were a band, you know. And uh, so it was really hit and miss. And I sort of uh, slowly gravitated to big guitars and then faster, hard rocking sort of classic rock, like Van Halen and ACDC. And um, it wasn't really until, you know, 1988 uh, that a friend of mine said, give me that live Led Zeppelin tape and I'm going to tape the Sex Pistols and the Descendants over it. (laughs) Kind of blew my mind. (laughs) Nice. And so I, you know, from there... I mean, the thing is, I, I was talking to somebody about this recently with ACDC, which is awesome. They're so great. You kind of run out of ACDC pretty quickly, right? You know, there's yeah. just an ACDC and there's probably a dozen records. And now you've got your whole collection. And by the way, it's all ACDC. And uh, <laughs> same thing happens with uh, with Van Halen. Uh, and, and it's pretty slim pickings in terms of class rock, classic rock from there if that's what you're kind of looking for. And the sort of the 
the watershed moment with with punk is that there's a million bands and you can go deep on like you know a hundred bands and find so much uh and that was a real kind of you know just getting lit on fire kind of thing where i realized oh my gosh there's this whole world of underground music and every one of these bands has two three four five albums and you know i just got this unlimited world to sample and explore and listen to and and get excited about so you know that stuff teed me up uh for that sort of fast rock and music but you know really it was the sex pistols and the descendants and black flag if i'm honest that you know um that sort of showed me oh wait there's more to this you know and there's a much deeper ocean of music available to me been able to really um describe sicko to anyone who's never heard them um you know other than by saying you know they're a pop punk band you know um <laughs> so but listening to the music for a long time you know you start to realize that um y- you start to hear your influences a little bit and you know i i hear uh, i hear a little bit of fastbacks and yeah. I hear a little bit of um of Jawbreaker, and I hear a little bit of Super Chunk, and I hear a little bit of, uh, you know, Husker Du. Yeah, Um, that's probably the best description I've ever heard. (laughs) And that's exactly what we were doing. I mean, there's a few other bands that we would reference, but, you know, absolutely right on. Yeah, we. I mean, we were just, I think we were influenced by... um, the 70s, the 77, 78, you know, 79 crowd of mostly pop anyway, 
you know, punk music. Um, and then stuff that you were talking about, that's what was going on in our minds. That's what we were trying to be. Um, there were a lot of other contemporary alternative music things that were going on that were influencing us, but those were the big ones. Yeah, you know, I still listen to all four records and, um, you know, listening to them, <laughs> I always, you know, I always think it's crazy that I, I, I do hear, you know, a bunch of songs sound like uh, kind of fastbacks. Yeah ish and then you know songs like if i'm vacant or uh little you know totally remind me of super chunk yeah um loves which is awesome because i'm a super chunk guy yeah. and then um you know i hear a lot of you you kind of had that um bob mold guitar sound down yeah just perfectly sometimes wait till i send you my new record and my new band you're gonna laugh how bob mold it's gone <laughs> uh are you talking about date night with brian no, no, that's over. We did that for a couple of years, and it's over. Now I got a new band called The Subjunctives. I don't know if you're familiar uh, with a band called The Four Lights out of Seattle. Awesome guys, awesome band. Their guitar player Jeff is playing bass with us now. 
who's just wonderful. And uh, I got a drummer, uh, Matt. Um, he, he's kind of newer to the music scene. And I have actually put this band together that is, I mean, I probably spent nine or ten months researching every detail of Bob Mould's 1985-86 guitar sound. Um, and I have reconstructed his guitar stack uh, in really just unnecessary painstaking detail. <laughs> so, I mean, and we're actually going, we've got a demo, I'll send it to you um, after the interview uh, that we did last year with another bass player. And then I'm going into the studio with Kurt Block actually in September. And we, we're meeting to talk about this whole Husker Du. Uh, guitar sound that i'm working on and that i that i, I think i've got maybe 90 percent dialed in uh, which is hilarious because of course he knows those guys and they used to you know when but when husker would come to seattle in the early 80s they'd play with the fastbacks you know the fastbacks are in bob mold's book and stuff so uh it's gonna be uh i'm a little nervous that he's gonna be like oh pff, this is not really what bob was playing but i think I've pretty much got what Bob is playing uh, figured out. Uh, and so, yeah, big, 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 big Hoosker fans. Awesome. Um, I swear I heard once that he used, like, a metal guitar pick. No, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. I never heard um, so I got this uh, pretty good friend of mine who plays in a band called uh, Porcupine, and they're out of Minneapolis now. But um, uh, they used to be from here, and, you know, there's been some lineup changes through the years. And as of right now, Greg Norton is playing bass for them. Oh wow! Yeah, so deal. it's uh, they're definitely not uh, they definitely don't sound like Husker Du at all. I wouldn't imagine Greg Norton would make a Husker Du sounding band. <laughs> I look like someone you know. Our voice is different, uncanny, but close. We talk in circles and swirls, work the point on that stuff.
terrified to talk to bob mold he has these things every once in a while where you know fans can ask him questions and stuff and where he comes and plays and i'm, I'm terrified to meet my hero for the most part i really don't give a shit about rock stars I'm, i don't really idolize too many people anyway and i'm just terrified to meet bob mold because he's such a hero to me musically and just his, his life and the things he's done and who he is you know I really don't want to meet him and him be an asshole. Like, like that just would fuck up too much of my life. So, I, I mean, what the hell would I do with this amplifier? These amplifiers, you know, just to begin with, right? Or this band. So, I just have to leave him on a pedestal, you know, and read articles, you know, and uh, and, and be happy with that. I can't meet Bob Mold. It would it, if if he brushed me off or was mean it would just break my heart if, if grant hart was it would be fine you know okay uh, or if 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 greg norton was fine you know but i couldn't i can't take that risk with bob <laughs> yeah i know what you mean man but uh for all i've heard from anybody is um greg's just a sweet guy you know that's what he that, that, everything i see that's yeah yep he used to uh own a restaurant um in red wing minnesota and um Apparently, like, you know, people would go in there with Husker Du shirts on or whatever, and, um, you know, he'd come out and, you know, talk to him and stuff like that. I guess he was just real cool about that stuff, so. You know, I mean, that band is special just in a punk sense, right? I mean, they're one of the probably top ten most important punk bands ever to people that identify with that culture. And if you're, you know, in my side of punk rock probably top three and or five or something like that. And then I think if you sort of take it to the Midwest, you know, in terms of just hometown spirit, you know, you think of Husker, the replacements and soul asylum and, you know, people are, you know, maybe to a slightly lesser extent bands like the Dillinger four, you know, you know, Husker is precious and a special, special thing to Midwesterners it's it it's such brilliant genius music but it's also so humble and so uh basic in a lot of ways and i think it just evokes to, at least for me this sort of you know this tone of of this sort of midwestern uh sort of you know artistic purity and austerity um and simplicity that i just think you know I'd be proud as hell if I was from Minneapolis, you know, and Husker came out of there. I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and same with Replacements and Souls Island. Uh, the, you know, that's a special thing. So I could see where people would go and just be like, yeah, Greg, right on. You know, we love you. 
Um, because uh, what a you know what a special thing for them, huh? I've never understood is um, their records aren't you know readily available. I mean you can get them I think, but you know they never did the reissue or you know the big box sets or anything like that. I just, I just thought it was weird that they never cashed in. I guess um, you know other bands do those and you know always put those extra tracks on the end and whatnot. And um, yeah, I just thought it was it's actually kind of cool that they never did that. Uh well, okay, that's sort of true. I mean. So the tip, this the sort of the famous albums, the ones that you know, the flip your wigs and the new day risings and stuff like that. No, um, that stuff has generally been available through SST and other places, um, but they just did do. I don't know if you heard Savage Young do, uh, which is um, a three or four album. Uh, uh, box set that they just put out probably eight months ago. I can't remember the label that did it. Uh, I can look it up for you really quick. But uh, I haven't heard they that. they Savage uh, Young do who did it? No, Numero Group and Numero does like obscure blues compilations and weird old folk stuff and funk stuff like really deep American stuff. And so they did this box set which is all demos and live stuff from all the way up to their first record. And they also did a remastered land speed record, um, which is awesome. I mean, it's so cool. And it's like got them doing Sheena as a punk rocker and like (laughs) these bubble gum songs. And then just this blistering white noise, hardcore, you know, probably in a basement of three people in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And, you know, uh, it's fucking 
awesome. So I, I would recommend it's probably about I don't know fifty or sixty bucks for the basic package if you can get it. I mean, you can also hear it NPR uh, streamed the whole thing. It's such a beautiful uh, sort of documentation of American hardcore, you know, in, in sort of the very early '80s and this band evolving into uh, you know the, the sort of monster they became. So um, they've done stuff. They also did a live record recently, um, which is great. Um, I think it's called The Living End, um, you know, and it's got stuff pretty well across their their catalog. My understanding is that the three of them were just absolutely at each other's throats in terms of legal stuff, particularly, um, I think, where a Grant was involved. I'm not sure if that's true, but it's kind of the rumor I heard. And uh, they just couldn't get together on anything. And so it doesn't surprise me that a reissue of all their classic stuff, you know, hasn't happened. Uh, I think they're sort of viewed, this is what I read about the guys that put together Savage Young Do. They were viewed as like the sort of holy grail, the unattainable, because they were so difficult and it's so it was so acrimonious. Uh, and uh, which obviously just, you know, as long as you're not in the band, just adds to the mystique and, you know, the, the awesomeness of it. Yeah, I've just never been a guy that really needs those. You know, I don't need the reissue. I kind of like the, you know, I listen to the original stuff. So, um, you know, the replacements did their reissues. And, you know, like they reissue Tim and it's, you know, it's got a bunch of, you know, extra tracks on there yeah. that kind of suck. So No, I agree with you. Those records weren't great, man. I bought that bug set and I love, I mean, I read that Matt's book, um, Trouble Boys, which was just heartbreaking. And also one of the, best researched rock docs i mean i mean i did several master's degrees and i'm spent years immersed in the academic world and you know i love to see a heavily footnoted uh you know piece of uh piece of literature and and i mean and that is i've i've read a lot of rock docs and i've never read one that was that detailed and um I mean, the guy spent 10 years and it was brutal. I mean, and it was, but anyway, I came out of it and I was like, geez, I need to buy these records again. And I went out and, you know, I bought that box set and, you know, something, uh, looking at it, I thought, you know, I'm probably going to regret this. And you could just tell they had not spent one dime mastering it. It was, it was very thin and shitty. They weren't great sounding records. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they were great. They weren't great to begin with. I don't remember. Um, but it, I remember feeling like they had done a cheap job of it. Yeah, I just, I just don't really care. I, I don't need a reissue. You know, I'll listen to the originals. It's, it's not a big deal to me. Yeah. No. You know, in a way, it almost fits the replacements, right? Because their whole thing is "fuck you." you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I don't know. It, they're, yeah. I don't. I'm. Yeah, I wished it would have been better. I have a few of their old records, which I love. Uh, yeah, and that box set doesn't get a lot of play in my house. Yeah, I can't, it's a 
believe, uh, you know, 22 or 23. I was just this huge replacements guy and big Paul Westerberg fan. And just, yeah. uh, it was right around the time of like the stereo mono record, which was fucking awesome. And, um, yeah, you know, you just, you would just hear about them all the time. You'd hear about the replacements, just their, their reputation. And, um, it almost overshadowed the music to me a little bit, you know, whereas I don't think they really needed that, you know, just the reputation of being fuck ups and, and drunks, you know, um, they didn't really need it. You know, the music stood on its own, I think, but I, I think that's kind of what, um, kept people interested and obviously, you know, caused all those, um, that, you know, the reunion and all the reissues and all the hype they got recently. Whereas, uh, Husker do, you don't really hear stories like that, you know, and it's just more just the music. I think they were more focused and hardworking. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is incredible, though, to hear those stories about the replacements, and, and uh, it's hard to believe that they're still alive. Well, yeah. they're not all still alive, I yeah, know. But, uh, you know, um, Westerberg and Stinson, you know, it's just hard to believe they're still going. Yeah, and as far as I can tell, Stinson is still a complete raging drunk. <laughs> I mean, I've got buddies that went to see his Boom Pop, or what is his name? Crackle. Bash and Pop. Bash and Pop. Yep. I got a buddy that's a, the old bass player from my current band. He's huge, huge replacements and Tommy fan. And I mean, he would come back and he's like, yeah, I saw him play at a club in town. And, you know, he was just loaded. He was terrible, you know. Uh, so, I mean, I think it sounds like Tommy might still be doing that. As far as I understand, uh, Paul is, you know, straight as an arrow. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's funny because what I identify with in that music is not the drunkenness and the sort of disaster, you know, loser thing. To me, it's the beauty and the sadness and the, and the you know, the poetry and just the Americanness of that music. For sure. Really yeah. resonates for me. And... You know, I, so I just, uh, it's weird that that stuff comes with it. You know, I don't, I mean, when I think of the Pogues, I think of, you know, getting loaded while I'm <laughs> listening to music and that, okay, that, but for me, when I think of the replacements, I just think of, you know, these beautiful songs, this kind of almost beat Nicky intellectual punk and, you know, this just uh, sort of sadness and abandon and, to me, that's I. I don't care if they were sober or drunk or not. You know that that music doesn't need any of that to me. What 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 carries them through is, you know, is is just the genius of the songs and the sort of chemistry of the moment that they captured on those records. So, but it's weird. That's just that's part of the package. You know, that's what came with it. You know, it's just the songs for me, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Left of the Dial or Bastards of Young or, or Skyway or Here Comes Regular. They're, they're just all good songs, and that's all that counts with that band. I wasn't a big fan of Sorry Ma. Like, Denny and Josh used to make fun of me, like, oh, Ian, you like the fucking sellout records, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, I... but to me, um, Let It Be is one of the greatest records that ever happened. And I like Don't Tell a Soul, too. And I like Tim. You know, um, but I think Let It Be is like, which is weird because Let, Let It Be is like, you know, the, I mean, the dirty little secret is that it's uh, it's Peter Buck all over that record, right? He's the one playing mandolin and, you know, 
it's a record that got a boost from one of the most important and prolific contributing artists, you know, in across the eighties. And, uh, and it's perfect. I mean, that record is perfect. I, I just heard it. It's one of those few records in my life where, you know, I, I can remember exactly where I was when I heard it, exactly what I was doing. And, um, and 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 I had the same thought that I always have when this occurs. Oh wow, this is a big deal. I need to spend time and listen to this more. That happened with Fugazi, thirteen songs. You know, uh, that happened with Snuff, Demamusa, Bebonk. That happened with uh, Mr. T Experience, making things with light. That happened with uh, Cringer, Karen, Seven Inch. I mean, there. You know. It, it happens periodically in my life where I hear a record and I'm just like, oh, shit. That's the real shit. I need to take time and come back to this. And it, it, almost invariably, I think also, I need to make a band like that. <laughs> yeah, the first time um, I saw Let It Be, a buddy handed it to me and I, I looked at the back cover and I thought, you know, God, I hope that's a Kiss song. <laughs> you know, they, they do... Um, <laughs> They do Black Diamond on there, and uh, sure shit it was, you know, and it was just one of those moments where you're like, Kiss is fucking cool, you know? You gotta love those guys. They're just like, hey, punk rock, fuck you. Here's a Kiss song, you know? I mean, I guess for you, it probably was like vindicating. You were like, you know, yeah, sea fuckers, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wish I would have been able to, uh, you know, to have seen them back in the day, you know? I know um, there's a place in town here that... Um, a bunch of old punk bands used to play, you know, the replacements and Soul Asylum and Who's Could Do and Black Flag and um yeah, I've seen some a buddy of mine's brother had a bunch of flyers back in the day and I just, you know, how cool would that have been to go to, you know, those old shows. It's just cool cuz we, you know, we're close to Minneapolis to where bands like that would 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 be able to come down and shit like that. Yeah, I didn't go to any of that stuff. I I learned about that stuff after the fact and yeah. I was just, I was, I was an awkward, you know, insulated kid living in like a, you know, sort of redneck American dream, sort of <laughs> walled garden, you know, and so I just wasn't allowed, that that stuff wasn't on my radar, I wasn't allowed to participate, you know, and it just wasn't a thing, and then, you know, it wasn't until the late 80s that people that I became friends with were like, Hey, listen to this. And it blew my mind. And I was always sort of feeling like, you know, I, I had come to it too late, you know, and at the end of the day, I got to, you know, I got to see green day play to a hundred people, you know, at a shitty all ages club and, you know, I, lots of cool stuff, you know, yeah. uh, uh, in my twenties, but, you know, <clears throat> in my teen years, I missed, a lot of, you know, that, you know, formative, you know, sort of profound American underground stuff, which is a bummer. But, <clears throat> but you know, uh, I mean, you, you know, you dip in when you can. You get in yeah. when you can. And I, I got in when I could. And I, I, I wrote it for all it was worth. I do wish I had seen Husker, Black Flag, you know, the Angry Samoans, the Minutemen. You know, um, I mean, I saw Stiff Little Fingers last year, and they're great, but they're, you know, guys that could be my, like, uncle, you know? Yeah. <laughs> they're like old fuckers, <laughs> and they don't look good. Uh, 
and they're okay. They're not. They're not. You know, nineteen seventy eight good. Uh, yep. So you know, there's no re- there's no replacement for seeing. You know, your heroes when they were at their peak. You're never. You doesn't matter. You know, I mean, I saw Super Chunk last year. They're great. They're fine. You know, uh, weirdly, in the same club that I'd seen them play in 1991, uh, 92. And, uh, of course, Laura wasn't in the band. and uh, But they were, and they were an entirely competent band. They, ha- they didn't hold a candle to, you know, Super Chunk in their 20s when they were full of rage and art, you know. Yeah. So, you know, you just, you do it when you can and. You 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 get woke when you can and and you know and you make the best of it. Still, I am still chasing '80s hardcore. I don't know if anyone's ever told you this, but um, I've always had this really hard time telling the difference between you and Denny, um, vocally. <laughs> um, you guys sound so similar. It's hilarious. Um, so what I've had to do is um go on YouTube, you know. And uh, type in, you know, Sicko and then the name of the song and, you know, and put live in there. And hopefully there's a video of you guys playing it live so I can tell who the fuck sings it. Yeah, well, you know, over time, I mean, our influences were so close. They were different. You know, Denny was not a stiff little fingers guy and I was never a super chunk guy. Uh, but um, over time, we... You know, I, I mean, I can't speak for him, but he influenced me a lot in the way he sang, the way he wrote songs, the way he played guitar, um, and and so I think we were highly self-referential, at least on my side, I guess, probably on his to a certain extent, and um, you know, I I think there's a thing where a band finds its sound and starts to become that thing you know and you you come into it with your ideas and preconceptions and it's awkward and this song doesn't fit and you know that song is clearly that guy you know and then you know a few years later things have gelled up and you've you've gravitated towards one another and you've you've become something different that is that's a new whole and you know, it's funny. My wife and I were talking about this with my new band. We, my ba- the bass player Jeff uh, from Four Lights. He just wrote a song, great song. You know, it is not an Ian Husker Du song. Uh, it is like kind of more Weezery or something. And he's, you know, he's ten years younger than me, so he comes from a different period of pop punk, and you know, brings a whole different sensibility to it, which is awesome. Uh, and we need that actually. Uh, big time. Uh, and uh, so, you know, she's like, well, you know, you guys got to figure out what you sound like. Because that song and this song and that other song, you know, those are pretty far apart. And I'm like, really? You know, it's it's all pop punk. Really? How different really is it? You know, but, you know, it, it, it people often said, well, you the songs sound, I mean, you can sort of hear a Denny and sort of hear an Ian song, but they're quite similar and the voices fit together very well. And sometimes you can't tell which band, which singer it is. And I think that all speaks to us evolving 
you know, or just developing as musicians together to a point, you know, to the central point um, and becoming a new thing, you know, instead of those things, those separate things that went into it. And, you know, and so that's sort of going on with the band I'm in now. It's like, you know, we're Jeff's been playing with us for three months and he's bringing in songs and they're great songs and I'm bringing in songs and I think they're pretty good songs and, and, and they're not really subjunctive song. That band's called the subjunctives. They're not really subjunctive songs yet. They're, they're Jeff songs and they're Ian songs. And, and we're and I feel like we're migrating to a point where they will become. And we we often have this conversation, which is like, I think that sounds like a that's a subjunctive song, like that might be a subjunctive song that one we just played, you know. And why is that? Well, because it's got your stuff and my stuff and his stuff and this and that. The way that Matt plays drums and 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 you know, there's sort of this mystery, like you know. Have we discovered it? You know, is this the fountain of youth? I don't know. You know, like a uh, sort of conversation going on where, you know, with Sicko, I don't, we weren't really as co co sort of um, cognizant of it. We were sort of just, uh, or sort of conscious of it. We were just sort of going along. And over that, I don't know, I guess seven or eight years we were banned, you know, it just became a sound uh, organically. And, uh, and, and I guess you do that, right? I mean, that, that's what happens. So since you guys sound so similar, you know, um, you know, I've never heard anybody ever say, uh, you know, fuck Ian, you know, I only want to listen to Denny songs oh, or anything I like am. that. <laughs> you know, I like, like who's and, um, you know, the, you know, you got the Bob Mould guys and you got the Grand Hart guys and, you know, you kind of got to choose sometimes, you know? Um, I've just never heard that with you guys. Well, I, I've heard it plenty of times. Really? The songs are like, yeah. But, you know, it is what it is. The fact that people are talking about it and that I got to be a part of it, I'm super happy, you know. Uh, but, yeah, you know, but uh, I love to hear you say that because I think the similarities, like a lot of things in life, the similarities were a lot greater than the differences. <laughs> Yeah. 
we're still on Sicko here, real quick, um, if we could talk about the production of some records, real quick. Yeah. Um, you guys released a lot of stuff, you know, pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> what is it like? Four albums in three years, I think I saw. And um, you did um, uh, Laugh While You Can and Chef Boy in uh, recorded and yeah. released in less than ten months. Is yeah. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Damn, that's incredible because you know, um, Chef Boy, Are You Dumb is just so good. You know, it's my favorite Sicko record for sure. Um, just love that record. And uh, you guys recorded it in like five days or something. Yeah. That was our that was our first luxury tour. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just impressed because the production sounds so great on it. You know, it is that, great. Uh, um, knowing that, you know, it, it it sounds like you guys are just ripping through all the songs, yeah. just live yeah. one take, you know, and and I can almost hear once in a while just something that's a little off. Yeah, maybe? yeah, no, that's a, it's, it, it's very it, organic. It adds to it. I just love that record, man. It's my uh, go-to sicko record for sure. That's a good one. And, uh, I mean, I love, uh, I love them all, but that one has a ton of charm. I love that record. <laughs> you about was uh tales from the bird bath oh. uh right after sicko i love the first record a lot oh wow i always kind of wondered to myself um you know why it wasn't a sicko record you know um <laughs> you put it on and you know it's it's it sounds a little bit like sicko without the big chunky guitars but the songs wow. definitely sound like they could have been sicko songs was that something you did um was was sicko um, completely done, or were you just looking to do uh, like a solo project with this? No, we'd had this sort of predictable, acrimonious breakup. Did you just break up with me? Which was sad. I, you know, we're all super good friends today, and we, you know, I'm putting out Denny's new band's record. Josh is playing drums in that band. You know, I was Denny's best man in his wedding. 
you know, Josh and I work at the same company. And we're all so close. We're such good buddies. Um, you know, we played together at the Pop Punk Festival. So it meant we practiced together for three three months, you know, three hours, twice a week. So we're, we're very, very close. But, you know, was, we were all in our late 20s and we'd been doing it for a while. And we had our big acrimonious breakup, which everybody has to have. All kinds of drama and tears, and you know, and uh, I wanted to do a new band, and I had been listening to my probably bad idea was I'd been listening to a lot of shoegaze and dream pop, you know, stuff from the early '90s, and then listening to a lot of twee pop, you know, which started in the late '80s and kind of continued through the '90s. You know, so sort of this 4AD meets K Records idea. Um, and I had the idea that I could just get a, a drummer and a bass player. And I got Mike and Dave from the Posies. Uh, and, and Mike is, you know, still playing drums with lots of bands, including the Fastbacks. Uh, and I thought I would just cram together a record with them. And I wanted it to be a lot more twee than it came out. Um, it ended up being a lot more big rock and more sicko than I wanted. I was playing 12 string, um, with a lot of chorus and stuff. And it just, uh, I love that record, but I, you know, tales, I don't know if you, which tales from the birdbath records you have, but very quickly after that, it became way more twee. I got a way more stripped down drummer, you know, got rid of the bass. It was just, you know, guitar drums and singing and you know for a while it was me and reba my wife you know i mean it, it, we got so stripped down which was super fun this was super fun in the early 2000s we would go to a show she would bring a floor tom she would tape a uh a uh, tambourine to the top of it i would have a little tiny pv amp and my guitar and she would either play maracas or drumsticks on top of that floor tom and that that was it that was our band and so we went to this super stripped down twee place um and you know it's it, it sort of petered out over time and actually in some ways it kind of became date night with brian uh, after we moved back from europe and uh so you know tales from the birdbath i think i wanted it to be this thing it was hard for it to not be a, be sounding like sicko um, I think also it didn't really have the degree. Uh, I, you, you just can't go into a studio with great musicians and make a record that sounds like you know playing with great musicians that you know that you've known for ten years and have been you know you know playing with for ten years. It, it doesn't sound. It doesn't have that level of connectiveness. So I kind of learned a lot in that, and I, and I actually also. Like, yeah, this is kind of a lot bigger rock and more noise and more pounding drums than what I really want. Like, I really wanted a way more twee kind of thing, and that's what Tales finally became.
and then there's Date Night with Brian. Um, so the idea with Date Night was to sort of have the sort of lo-fi aesthetic of Guided by Voices, but the guitar tunings of Sonic Youth. And so I spent a lot of time researching how Sonic Youth tunes their guitars, which is pretty weird, like really not like normal guitars. And, uh, you know, sort of worked on that for a long time with uh, Brian from the Primate Five, which is a band that was on the original 13 Soda Punks and an old roommate of mine. And he wrote the, he actually is the guy who wrote the Olympia song that was on the Birdbath record, first Birdbath record. So we're old friends and we sort of had this band date night with Brian, which is me and Reba and Brian, you know, hence the date night idea. Um, and, you know, and that was sort of, and it was two guitars and a lot of noise and clanging and, you know, sort of, you know, a new idea that I'd always wanted to do. I love Guided by Voices, love Dinosaur Jr., I love Sonic Youth, and I thought, how can I put all that together in a band? Uh, and we did that for five years and made an EP. Um, and, you know, we recently called that quits about, I don't know, three or four months ago. And, you know, and so that's just another musical idea I had uh, that, I sort of, you know, brought to life. I think, unlike Sicko and Birdbath, like I had a clear idea that it was, you know, I, I wanted to do this, I wanted to accomplish that, and then I wanted to get done with it and get onto something else. Uh, and so, you know, I feel like with that band, it's done and it's it's it, it did what it needed to do, and I'm really happy with what it did. Um, and you know, not to say that it won't ever play again i mean all those sickos played recently bird baths played recently date nights played recently um it's not my focus you know now i'm back actually into doing pop punk again you know and you know was really inspired by the local scene after i moved back here from europe uh you know particularly seeing bands like the four lights bands like foxhole norman bands like success Bands like, uh, you know, um, oh gosh, I don't know. Um, bands like Ramona, you know, bands like, 
a listen lady, you know, these awesome later latter day punk pop punk bands, you know, um, just being blown away that people are still playing this music. I mean, like surprise. I don't know if you got the, did you get the 14 sort of punks LP? No, no. The well, original, are, you, are you talking the 14 or the 13? The 14, the 14. That's the newer one. No, I don't have yeah. that. No. Well, I'll have to send it off to you. So, you know, the whole notion of that, so you know about the 13 i guess yep of course yeah so you know the 14 is just a you know the idea is really you know 13 was sort of a statement at a time kind of relevant to you know the whole grunge world and all these great pop bands that i think seattle really is about you know at the time in 94 and now you know last year we, we put out the 14 soda punks and you know, it's just all these fantastic bands that are playing in Seattle, these great pop punk bands. And it's just the craziest thing that pop punk is big. And there's, you know, there's way more than 14. You know, I just picked the 14 that I liked the most at the time. And really, I could have done a double album with it. Um, and that's kind of what the pop punk festival came out of. And and so, you know, I was just so inspired to come back to the to the U.S. and come back to Seattle and, and see all these people playing this music that I love that I thought I needed to make the record. And, and that's really also where I got the idea, I'm going to start a pop punk band. Uh, and I'm going to do this, I'm going to go back to that again. And because I'd kind of done the other things I wanted to do. And that's where the subjunctives idea came from. And... Uh, you know, I've been cooking on that for a couple of years now, and I, we're getting ready to do our first. We did a demo. We're we're about ready to do a seven inch, and and then in the new year we're going to do an LP. Um, so yeah, it just it was amazing to get so inspired by what's going on here, and and just like see that this crazy little tiny subgenre that I was involved in that no one gave a shit about in 1991 or 1990 now became the biggest thing in the world so randomly and uh, and I just get to bask in the joy of going out to you know our local punk club we have punk clubs now and seeing pop punk bands like all night long so awesome that's awesome yeah so uh, my last question was going to be uh, the obvious um you know, is there going to be another uh, another sicko reunion in the future? Um, is there anything for uh, for us to look forward to as far as sicko goes? But yeah. uh, you know, I guess uh, you know you being in a new pop punk band that's uh, that's enough to ask for right there. So well, so I've got a new band. I got the subjunctives, and I'll send you the demo, and I'll and I'll make sure you get the record when it comes out. Uh, you know, I, I don't think anyone will go, oh, wow, that's really different. You know, they'll say, oh, there's the Hernandez, who's uh, do stuff again. Uh, Denny has his new band, The Drolls. I'm putting out their 7-inch, actually, so I will send that to you. Um, and uh, uh, it's total Denny, awesome, super junk. You know, I mean, he has some elaborate explanation, but his wife, Julie, of what it is, but his wife, Julie, who plays bass, she says, no, it's Denny songs, you know, and he, she's right. Uh, they're Denny songs uh, and they're great. Uh, and uh, actually, it's weird. Uh, we were playing uh, subjunctives was playing Denny's birthday party. And so was the Drolls and Denny's drummer quit 
like literally over text at the birthday party and so they couldn't play and so um sicko had to get back together for one night again after jan you know, we did it in january we had to get back together one night again and, and like for some really turgid shitty sicko you know very slow and painful uh we had to play a few songs, you know. Uh, and so that was fun. And so uh, Red Scare, that is, that's our label now, um, they're working on a retrospective. Uh, Toby's idea is to introduce Sicko to a new generation of pop punk fans. So we've got, a you know, an LP of, I don't know, 14 songs. They're all songs you'll know um, from the four records. Um, in fact, Mass from uh, Screeching Weasel is 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 uh, mastering it, um, and then so that's coming out. And we got the original artist Jason Lutz, who did our first seven inch and first LP. Uh, he did a new cover for us. It's hilarious. It's like us if we got rich and famous. Um, and then uh, it's called In the Alternate Timeline, so it's hysterical. Um, so that's coming out. I've got a seven inch of unreleased early basement tape stuff that I'm going to put out. Super cheap, black and white, photocopy kind of deal on top drawer. Uh, I'm also going to do a re-release of the Mutant Pop uh, B-sides and outtakes and live stuff that came out. I don't know if you ever saw that, but it's a CD that Tim did. And I want to do a vinyl version of that. And so I, you know, and, and and we've had other ideas. I don't know if we're how serious we are, but um, and so I suspect that the releases of those will coincide with painful uh, training for being in a sicko gig once again. Uh, you know, which is hard when you're old and fat and bald and have a beard, and you know, you're like. You can't pogo like you used to, and frankly, those songs are exhausting to play. Uh, but, uh, but you know, I'm sure that we will, you know, sort of wind it back up again for the release of that stuff, and um, and so there'll be a few chances uh, more to see us play. I, I I struggle with it because I don't really think that we're really able to do justice to what it used to be uh, back when we were, you know, really in our prime. And I hate to erode the memory for anybody. I, I, I you know, I, which is why we're not just doing sicko, right? We're, we're doing our own bands and doing new projects and things and working together, but we're not doing sicko because we don't want to really make sicko be something different for people than what it was. You know, we'd like it being the special memory that it is for people. Uh, so, so it's a little hard, but we will probably drag it out one or two more times. Uh, I'll make sure I let you know. That's awesome, man. Uh, holy shit. I was expecting you to just say, no, not really. Nothing in the plans. No future for Sicko. And, uh, you, you gave us a lot to look forward to. All right, Ian. Hey, uh, you up for doing a top five with me? Sure. Awesome. So we're gonna do uh, we're gonna do our top five John Hughes films. This is crazy. This is crazy. This is crazy. Uh, Ian, what's your uh, what's your number five John Hughes film? 
weird science. Okay, look, you know how you're always talking about how you can simulate all that stuff in your computer? You know? What's the difference? Why can't we simulate a girl? I don't know. I, I guess I could, but why? It's two-dimensional on the screen. It's, it's not flesh and blood, Gary. Well, I know that, but, you know, we can, we can use it. Why? We can ask it questions. We can, we can put it in real-life sexual situations and see how it reacts. You're like, we're sick to manage shit. You'd love it. Well, what about your girl in, um, Canada? She was in Canada. This girl's no morals. You know, I don't, I don't like that on a girl. I, it's rough having those kind of relationships. You'll see. <clears throat> anyway, get to work. That's uh, that's my number five. <laughs> it's not really that great of a movie. It's hilarious, uh, though. It's pretty funny. Uh, some of the outtakes are even funnier than what made it into the record into the into the uh, into the movie. But uh, you know, it's sort of at the bottom of my barrel. Like be below that, I'm sort of not that interested. But that's how weird science got on there. Yep. Plus, funny funny song from dances at high school dances of my youth. Here's the bottom line, Wyatt. I'm telling mom and dad everything. I'm even considering making up some shit. All right. So, uh, what do you, what do you got for number four? Uh, I got sixteen candles. Chronologically, you're sixteen today. Physically, you're still fifteen. Uh, you know, it's special to me. Again, you know, I told you this. Um, or, you know, I wrote you this in email. You know, that that stuff was being sort of marketed at my generation. And so that was they were talking to me. And so it was it was a it was a movie with humor and tensions that were relevant to us. And at that time, um, we were very concerned about sex and uh, it was uh, super taboo. And it was just like just this very big subject. I don't know if kids today are the same, but. We, it, that's how we were in the eighties. Um, what's great about 16 candles, um, the, you know, <laughs> there's some really funny lines in there. Uh, some of which are really completely inappropriate in the modern context, but we just got miles of laughter out of, um, and of course my parents actually did forget my 16th birthday. Uh, my birthday is, um, is on is based nor is is right around Thanksgiving, uh, so it's sort of easy to like in Thanksgiving plans and stuff to forget or to you know get it confused. And they did just like they just like uh, for uh, Molly Ringwald's character, they did forget my 16th birthday. So I've always felt a kinship with Molly. I can't believe this. They fucking forgot my birthday. That sucks. That's really funny though. Um. 16 Candles is on my list, too. Uh, it's a little higher up, but um, love that movie. So uh, my number four is Vacation. I think you're all fucked in the head. We're 10 hours from the fucking fun park, and you want to bail out. Well, I'll tell you something. This is no longer a vacation. It's a quest. It's a quest for fun. I'm going to have fun, and you're going to have fun. We're all going to have so much fucking fun when we need plastic surgery to remove our goddamn smiles. You'll be whistling symphony doodah out of your assholes. <laughs> I gotta be crazy. I'm on a pilgrimage to see a moose. Praise Marty Moose. Holy shit. Dad, you want to ask for something? Don't touch. Ah. Um, yes. 
And uh, one of my favorite movies of all time, and of course it started off the, the whole series of, you know, European and Vegas and Christmas, and and uh, it was kind of the beginning of that. Obviously it was the beginning of that. Um, gave us a lot of classic one-liners, you know, and it, it, was, uh, it was a movie that... Um, you know, had a Ramon song in there, if you remember that. I but it, do not uh, remember that. It, uh, I think it's a Beat on the Brat, I believe, when they're leaving Chicago. It's playing as they're driving out of the city. Um, but, you know, there was so so many things that were kind of wrong with that movie. The whole uh, Uncle Eddie's daughter talking about French kissing and Daddy says she's the best, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, so many things wrong with it, but... um. Yeah, that uh, I love that movie so much, and so. Uh, what's your number three? Number three is Pretty in Pink, and uh, that is because, well, a that song is just great. Um, I actually went on a. Um, oh God, we're okay. I'm trying. I'm blanking on the band's name. They were the Psychedelic, psychedelic Furs, and I went on a Psychedelic Furs sort of deep dive recently, and. Actually, it's not very good beyond that. It's they're not that great of a band, yeah, but the singer had a great voice uh, and uh, um, great song. Totally romantic music of my, you know, sort of sophomore junior year of high school. Um, it was talking about themes that were so relevant to us underdogs. Um, and in fact, there was a very hot girl, Jennifer, uh, who was, you know, who I, today we would say that she friend zoned me, uh, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, I was sadly and lo- desperately in love with her. She was miles out of my class, dating way older guys, uh, and she used to refer to me as Ducky uh, for obvious <laughs> reasons. <laughs> Bumming out the night for you. Didn't bum out anything. I had a great time. Liar. I was with you. I had a great time. If I was in a Turkish prison, I'd have a great time with you. I don't know. It's just, it's just too weird for me, you know? Maybe it just shouldn't happen. What, you and me? Well, you know, maybe it doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't mean it isn't right, right? Doesn't mean we can't try. Feel any better if I ask you to the prom? All right. My number three is uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, man. Bueller. 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 Um, he's sick. My best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows this kid is going with the girl who saw Ferris pass out at Thirty One Flavors last night. I guess it's pretty serious. Thank you, Simone. No problem whatsoever. Fry. Um, what do you got for number two, Ian? Well, for me, it's Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, you know, that was, I think, 87, it must have been, or 86, 87. Yeah. My senior year of high school. Um, he had an attitude which was easy to access as a person who was at the end of their high school career um the clothes that they were wearing and he was wearing particularly were 
the height of sort of cheeky teen fashion. <laughs> I don't even know if that exists anymore, but it was a big thing at the time. You know, those sort of funny shoes and the baggy pants and all that and the hair, all that stuff was very, you know, there's just this whole world of teen fashion. Um, and I don't know if kids like that have kids have that today, but it was a big deal for us then. Um, he was very suave and funny and uh, and very um, sort of he knew that the grownups were full of shit and uh, he wasn't worried about it, but he thought they were sort of he was sort of laughing at them. And and that was uh that was some. That was a great message. We were ready to hear that. We knew that. We knew that our parents were full of shit, and he also sort of reflected that. Um, for years, that song Donkashane sort of captured my mind. The one that he sang in that mm -hmm. movie, Donkashane, darling, Donkashane. You know, that's like it was just beautiful. And I thought it was a girl singing it. And I remember I was on tour with Sicko. And I was like, oh, that song's so girl great. I just I want to meet that girl someday. You know, she's probably like 80 years old. But I want to meet her. And they're like, Ian, it's a dude. <laughs> and I'm like, what? It's a dude singing Donka Shane? His voice is like, you know, three octaves up. And, and I was sort of like, I don't know how I feel about myself now. You know, I... It was the 90s, and I'd been sort of in love with the female singer of this beautiful, like, romantic European song, you know, all wistful and 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 sort of, you know, uh, sort of like, uh, 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 like, you know, like, um, I don't know, like, like it was sort of, you know, for grownups and tasteful and, and advanced and you know whatever and and like uh and and uh sophisticated that's the word i'm looking for and then i realized that actually it was a dude singing it and i was like very conflicted for a few minutes there and you know it was the 90s so i was cool i was cool you know you know uh but uh it 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 was it was a weird thing for me to realize that song was sung by a dude and not by a gal I believe it was sung by Wayne Newton, wasn't it? I do not know. That could be entirely possible. I think it is Wayne Newton. Uh, I might be wrong on that, but these are the kind of delusions that occupy my mind. <laughs> That's funny. All right. For, well, for my number two, I went with Sixteen Candles. Hey Jude. Just stop it, okay? I mean, it's really been a shitty birthday for me. No offense, but I don't need a serenade right now. What's wrong? You didn't get anything good? Or I didn't get shit. Not even a happy birthday. My whole family just sort of blew it off. I'd freak if my family forgot my birthday. It's a brand new year. I'm 16. Everything should be platinum. I should be happy, right? Right? Yeah. Well, I can't get happy. It is physically impossible for me to get happy. Would you feel better if you knew one of my secrets, or...? Don't gross me out. No, we're not talking gross here. No, it's just... It's just embarrassing. This information cannot leave this room, okay? It would devastate my reputation as a dude. No problem. 
I've never bagged a babe. Can I guess your number one? Sure. It's got to be the Breakfast Club, right? Oh, yeah. 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 So. Me too. No, yeah, that was a great one. I mean, I, I remember seeing it. My, my buddy Dan, for his 16th birthday, rented that movie uh, on videotape, and we watched it. We were sophomores in high school, and... Um, I, you know, and my parents didn't really do that kind of thing. Like they didn't want rent videos a lot and we didn't have cable or anything. So we didn't see movies like that. And I was pretty interested to see it. And it was, uh, you know, like a lot of those John Hughes movies, it, there was a lot of sexual tension that was very, you know, sort of scary, but interesting to a young man, an awkward young man like myself, uh, you know, I was instantly in love with Ali Sheedy. I'm like, where did these weird girls, where are they? I need to know them. Uh, you know, um, I knew plenty of Claire's and I didn't like them. Uh, and I didn't want to know them. Uh, and I, I th and the music was just so, uh, you know, it was perfect for the time. It was exactly the music kids were listening to. It had that sort of new romantic vibe to it, and it was, uh, you know, it, you know, sort of maudlin and 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 sad and dramatic, and it was just perfect. And I probably spent the next year putting together my Bender outfit. Like I had exactly. His outfit, the boots, the 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 baggy pants, the trench coat, the the if I remember correctly, it was a plaid shirt with the sleeves cut off and a and a long underwear underneath, something like that. And uh and, and I, you know, I I was I wanted to be Bender, you know. So uh and of course I still do you mess with the bull, you get the horns. I have friends that that's a that's a that's a joke, you know, that we still do. Uh, so the, you know, that movie is that movie's all time. I mean, probably compared to Godfather Two or Star Wars or, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, some, you know, to The Shining or something. It's probably a fucking stupid ass, shitty teenage movie from the eighties. But, you know, in, in terms of like impact in my life at the time. Being in a ki being a kid, you know, and not knowing the first thing about the world, and 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 seeing this stuff, it, it kind of blew my mind at the time. I hear you there for sure. I, I definitely think that uh, the uh, the John Bender character was. Um, I remember growing up. I was really young at that time, but I I remember seeing guys like him around town, and I'd be yeah. like, he's don't fuck with that guy, you know. Yeah. Um, but um, did you ever hear that John Cusack was supposed to play that character? He was the no. he was originally cast for that, and I don't know what it happened. Would not but, uh, really have been as scary. <laughs> yeah, um, I remember after watching this as a kid, uh, I used to watch it as a kid, and then as I grew up a little bit, um, I'd watch it again, and me and a buddy were like, "He's so cool, let's go rent all of his movies." You know, I can't even think of the actor's name. Um, Judd Judd Nelson. Judd Nelson. Yeah, and we we're like, so we'd go and rent other Judd Nelson movies, and it was like, you know, Saint Elmo's Fire. Like, that's not Bender. What the fuck, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, there could only be one Bender, and he could only exist 
in a tiny universe for a very few minutes. <laughs> yeah. So um, that 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 movie is uh, there's very few movies out there that define that era, I think, and um, that is the one that does it the best, I believe. For me, it did. Yeah. You know, I I suspected at the time Saint Elmo's Fire probably was a lot closer to what was going on, uh, but. Uh, you know, for my little world, my awkward nerddom, yeah, uh, um, Breakfast Club and Pretty in Pink were kind of, you know, they were pages out of my script. Yeah. Um, when's the last time you saw St. Elmo's Fire? It's been a while. The 80s. The 80s. <laughs> Do you remember Rob Lowe's character? He, he plays in the band, you know, and he's, he plays fucking saxophone. And he's just jamming out, and it's so cheesy, man. It's like, no, that's not real, you know? Yeah. That guy is not no. the cool guy in that band, you know? No, he is not. <laughs> he's not the cool guy. So, um, the whole thing not cool. Yeah, well, thanks for doing that, man. That was a little different, you know? Yeah. We, we strayed from the pop-punk world. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, there were some other movies. Like, uh, he did uh, Mr. Mom <laughs> at yeah. that time, and then... Uh, they went ahead and uh, he got weird. You know, he did Uncle Buck and The Great Outdoors and Home Alone. And um, I... and to be honest with you, I didn't see. I mean, I was looking through that. I wrote to you, you know, I'm not. It, I think it'll be a short list. I guess that I've seen two or three more John Hughes movies than these. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm not a big movie guy, so I don't really see a lot of movies and I'm not really obsessive with movies like I am about records and bands. So, you know, I, I kind of take the approach of, well, if it's, you know, I didn't feel like I wasted my two hours, then it's fine. Uh, and if I did, yeah. then it's not, <laughs> you know. Uh, and so I hadn't really seen, I mean, he seems like he did maybe 25, 30 movies, and I'd probably seen maybe four or five more. And they weren't ones that meant a lot to me. I remember... I remember seeing she's having a baby and thinking, what the fuck is this about? Like, I, like, I don't know who these people are, you know, like it seemed like there's this world, which might be, you know, the other side of that, of, uh, Ferris Bueller's high school. My, my buddy, actually, my buddy from NBA school, he actually really? went to that high school. Uh, uh, the, I don't remember what it's called, but it's whatever the name of the high school in Ferris Bueller's is. Um, I, actually, it's in a bunch of those. I think it's in Breakfast Club too. I've heard that, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's the same high school. It's it's in Chicago, in the Chicago suburbs, and um, but uh, yeah, I remember seeing she's having a baby and thinking, I'm not gonna have a baby. Like I didn't just graduate from college and have a. <laughs> I'm gonna have a baby. Like no fucking way. Like who are these fucking people? And they have. You know, like the dude has some fancy job, and like, like I, you know, I, that was not my life at all. Whereas Pretty in Pink and Breakfast Club were probably not too far off of my life, and maybe Ferris Bueller's was like, you know, a fantasy of my life. But you know, ha she's having a baby was like for people from a different planet, and they. He sort of lost me there in a way. Yeah, um, I, I I just looked at it as he was as he was getting older. He was writing about things that he was experiencing, you know. 
maybe with Home Alone he had kids and yeah, he makes saw sense. something in that. And obviously he's you know in my new band, man, I don't write about stuff that would have been relevant to my 20 year old self or my 30 year old self. Cause I don't know anything about that stuff. I write about stuff that's relevant to me now. And, you know, I think some people when they hear it will go, yeah, that's some middle-aged shit. And I'll be like, yep, I'm a middle-aged dude. <laughs> you know, you can't really write about, I mean, I don't know, maybe some people are good at writing stories about things that never happened to them or they don't know anything about, but that's not me. You went ahead and uh, committed adulthood. I did it. I did it, man. And I, I couldn't just, stop I it. Too. Like it, kept, it was coming at me like a freight train. <laughs> uh, all right, man. Um, all right. Well, thanks a lot, man, for doing that with me. Um, you're welcome to come back. Oh, thanks so much. So, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thanks. All right, man. That was fun. I uh, can't wait to hear that new band. Um, yeah, thanks, Ian, for uh, coming on. Appreciate it. Oh, yeah, man. Sorry I couldn't make it, Ian. I wish I could have been there. Uh, I really missed out, you know? Damn it. Yeah. Fucking work. Fuck that shit. I'm quitting. Yeah. I'm just going <laughs> to podcast. Fuck it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> good luck with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, he was, uh, he was, uh, it was a lot of fun. He was a really, really nice guy. So, um, right on. It, it, people listening, you know, I mean, they're sickle fans already. So go check him out. Listen to him more. Yep. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so this was, uh, number 14. Next week, we don't know what we're doing quite yet, but, uh, We'll figure yeah. it out the day of. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, that's how we do yeah. it. So. But yeah, stay tuned. Thanks for, so much for listening, everybody. And uh, you know, stay tuned. Next week, we'll have something else cool for you. And to any of the band dudes that are listening, if you know that we love your band, get at us and come on the show, man. It'll be fun. Absolutely. But anyways, yep. I've been Jody. He's been Nate. You've been in the dummy room, and we'll see you next week. Suddenly our worth the traffic